Hello, I'm Dr. Jamie Seaman, your host of today's podcast, and I would like to introduce you to our guest, Dr. Marie Bielan. She is from Lincoln, Nebraska, and has lived most of her life here in Nebraska and went to Princeton University in New Jersey, studied abroad in the United Kingdom. She was a graduate of the University of Nebraska Medical Center, where she completed her pediatric residency at Creighton. She's also been in private practice at Village Point Pediatrics since 2009. Dr. Bielan and her husband enjoy homeschooling their four children, ages 11 to 17, and she's very much involved in her local church, world travel, history, and all things British. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Tell us where you did your training. I went to Princeton undergrad and then to the University of Nebraska for medical school. Okay. And you're a pediatrician. I'm a pediatrician. Tell us why pediatrics. Did you always, (laughs) I mean, obviously if your road was like molecular genetics, like it wasn't, it wasn't peds. So where did that, where did that come (laughs) in as a passion? Well, I'd always enjoyed kids. I, um, like most pediatricians, I love Disney. I love Sesame Street. There's like that childlike aspect to me that I never grew out of. But really it was, um, as I started to do rotations, um, second and third year, realizing I, I was just a really judgmental, um, uh, unforgiving adult doctor. Um, (laughs) when adults would come in, so many of their problems in my mind were due to their own poor choices. And so I just realized I wouldn't want to come see me, um, and have me blame them for smoking and eating too much sugar and all the things. Um, and so I didn't want to be that kind of doctor who was essentially judging every single patient every single day. Interesting. Kids are completely different. They never want to be sick. You get them feeling like a teeny smidgen better and they are off playing outside and you kind of have to strap them down to help them heal. Um, And it's never their fault. And so I had all the sympathy, all the patience in the world for my patients when they were little. Um, And it was, so that was, it was kind of a, uh, a no-brainer for me. And where'd you do your residency training at? In Omaha. In Omaha. Yeah. Okay. So University of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Um, did you ever, do you always want to be a generalist pediatrician? Did you ever think about specializing? Yeah, that I did. Um, so if I hadn't gotten married and started having children, I think I probably would have done a subspecialty. Um, but my husband and I got married my second year of medical school. And then we had my first son, um, my last year of medical school. So I, I had him, <laughs> it is a journey. Um, yeah. So I had him all through residency. I had this sweet little guy at home, um, just making me want to get off the 80 hour work week schedule as quickly as possible. Yeah. Um, but I did really like general pediatrics as well. I love, I think if I weren't a doctor, um, I'd probably be a teacher. I love getting to educate and kind of um, simplify what I've learned and make it communicate it well to others and and have it be memorable for them and help them to not make the same mistakes I've made, different things like that. So, um, so I do really love it, but, um, but I also love being an expert, um, and, and general pediatrics, that's hard to do, especially working part-time like I do. So there are some things that, um, I just try to be very honest with my patients of, I can't keep up on that. You're going to want to go see a subspecialist for that. Or even one of my partners, um, is much better at that than I am and reads the literature more. Um, and so the, the idea of being, really the expert in the world on something very much appealed to me. And you could only do that as a subspecialist. So I would have kept going. Yeah. 
Um, what is harder in pediatrics, the patients or the patient's parents? I've always wondered. <laughs> it's definitely the parents. Um, there's so much, I mean, there's so much good we can do as parents in influencing our kids, but they also take on all of our baggage too. And so um, most of the time when a kid is struggling in clinic, it's it's the fear of the parent that's being transferred. And so trying to um, to calm the parent down and um, and to help put things in perspective so that the child then can have a chance right. <laughs> of getting through whatever we need to do. Yeah. Talk to me about your decision to be a mom. I know I kind of alluded to the fact I had a baby when I was in medical school, mm -hmm. ended up having two in residency, but I watched a lot of my peers. This is like a big, you know, they're like, oh, I don't know. Is it mm -hmm. the right time? And I think that's really hard as a doctor. Talk to me about your decision to to be a mom, and did you specifically have that baby in medical school because you thought that was the right timing? I mean, for people listening who are kind of wondering about that. Yeah. Um, he was very planned. All, all of them um, were very planned, except the first one I had outside of residency. That was like, oh, wow, we... <laughs> let's see what happens. What happens is I have a four month old nursing every two hours and I got pregnant again <laughs> with my third. So that was exciting. No, but the, um, it was, what I always tell folks is, um, having children is never convenient. You never have enough money. You're never ready and you never have enough time. Um, it's, it's always going to be a sacrifice, um, which is the whole point. Um, and so for us, um, my husband very much wanted to be a father. Um, and he is a big athlete like you, um, played basketball in college, um, and had sort of, he, he wanted to be a young dad. He wanted his kids to remember when he could dunk a basketball. He wanted, um, to be, able to beat them in their teens at foot races. And, um, and so I wanted to honor that. Um, and then I'm, a, I think like a lot of doctors, a worst case scenario person. And so I was also very aware of my fertility um, and knowing that if I waited until I was done with everything and everything was tied up in a neat bow and I was well established in my career, yeah. that it may not happen. Um, and so we, we sort of made the deal of, okay, these few months will work with how I'd kind of structured my fourth year with research projects that I'd done ahead of time and things like that. And so let's see if it happens. And it did. Um, and so we were able to have um, our first and then we did the same thing in residency. I had sort of front loaded all of my difficult rotations so that the last few would be things like um, public health, which was all about uh, breastfeeding. And so they yeah. wanted me to bring my infant to be part of, you know, the culture really of what they were trying to do in the organization for that rotation. And um, so that worked really well. And then was so grateful to find a group in town of pediatricians that didn't think I was crazy um, for wanting to be a mom that was very encouraging um, so that when I signed my contract still pregnant with my second and showed up for work the first day pregnant with my third... <laughs> They threw a party. Let me tell um, you how that happened. That was an OBGYN. Exactly. I was shocked. Um, but yeah, they've been so supportive um, with my kind of more unusual schedule and wanting to protect my time at home. Um, it's it's just it's been a great um, specialty to find and then a great group to find that I don't have to fight that fight every day, like I think yeah. a lot of women do. 
I mean, it seems like you kind of found the unicorn you know, that you were looking for. So talk to me about, you know, the landscape in pediatrics. What does private practice, academic, for somebody out there who's a mom or maybe not a mom that's kind of, you know, looking like what should people be kind of looking for? Yeah, that's a great question. You obviously question. knew exactly what you were looking for. Well, I was really blessed. I I am the product of a working mom and my mom um, was dean of the business school at the University of Nebraska. So very high powered mom um, who didn't pretend that she did it all. Um, that was something that she always communicated. I have two sisters, so to the three of us, that it's an illusion that you can have everything. Um, and so she uh, tried, what she communicated to us is that for each of us, she tried to figure out what we actually needed from her as a mom and everything else she outsourced. And so um, so she didn't cook a lot of meals. Um, there weren't cookies when I got home from school. Uh, she was rarely one of the, the homeroom moms, um, but none of that mattered to me. She was there for homework, for my tennis matches, whatever it was in the season that I really needed just her, that a, a different, a babysitter or, or someone else wouldn't satisfy. Um, and so, so recognizing that, um, as I was thinking about my career, knowing and, and being clear with my husband of, okay, that will probably mean like, I'm not going to be the one cleaning the house. Are you okay with that? Or is that how your mom loved you? And it's really important right. for you that I am the one making the bed. And thankfully it wasn't, because uh, that's not one of the things I love to do. Um, and then I, I do have an incredible partner. Um, I, I haven't done laundry um, in years because my, that's now it's my kid's job, but way before that, it was my husband's job. Um, he very much will share whatever burden I'm feeling. Um, so, so as a woman recognizing, um, if you're going to be a mom, if you're going to be married and you're going to have a career, there's going to be give and take. And so for me, it's give and take in the career. I am not famous. I, um, I am not maximizing my earning potential. Um, uh, I will not be a talking head on ABC News. You know, some of those things that I really probably longed for in my 20s, and I think 18-year-old Marie would would sort of snicker and laugh at um, the, the, the smallness of my life. Mm -hmm. um, but 18-year-old Marie would not have the wisdom to recognize the depth that yeah. I have, the depth of joy that I have in this family um, and my children and my husband and our community here um, is so much bigger than anything I could have achieved um, through fame. Um, so with in medical school, I remember kind of finding the women um, who were practicing. Um, one uh, was very open and honest. Um, she was in academics and, and, and com clearly communicated, this is three full-time jobs. Wow. Um, I am a full-time grant writer. Um, I'm a full-time teacher and I'm a full-time practitioner and anyone that tells you differently isn't actually adding up the hours. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think a lot of men don't do that because they don't have to. They don't um, really think through how many hours are they actually working. Um, but for whatever reason, I think because our mom hearts just tug us and with that guilt of, oh, I wasn't there when he took his first step or I'm not right. going to be at the baseball game tonight. Um, we, we keep 
tabs and we are very aware of how many hours we're in the office. Um, and so I was grateful for that because that definitely crossed off academics. And you, it's, I think, also very difficult to do academics part time just because you do need to keep your skills sharp in a way um, that, that I wouldn't have been able to because for me, part time wasn't... Um, Part-time can so quickly become 40 hours and full-time. Did you know from the get-go you wanted to be part-time? I didn't, not until I met my son. Okay. Um, and then when I met him, I was shocked at how much I enjoyed being a mom. Um, and so that's when I, and, and then I started residency and 80 hour work weeks were, yeah, I don't do this. this was not it's what not I, no, no. I mean, my first word was not ambulance. I don't read medical journals for fun. I am a whole person and yeah. Um, and so I didn't, I don't think I'd want to do anything 80 hours a week. Um, so I think it's so admirable though, that you acknowledge that, absolutely. And honor that because I think it's easy to get sucked into the, the grind and you've got to like attain wealth and you've got to, you know, I, you know, it, it just, that's yes. such an interesting perspective. So tell us how your day-to-day life is set up, your practice, your yeah. family life. So this, our structure came from, um, my my happiest rotation was urgent care and ER. And in Omaha, um, with children's, they had us home all day because nothing really happens in the ER during the day. And then we would show up at six and work from like six to 2 a.m., I think, or six to midnight, something like that. And we loved it. My husband and I, my son, we were all so happy that month. Every time it happened, we were like, this is amazing. So I wrote letters to every pediatrician I'd worked with through residency and medical school and said, I've got this crazy idea. I would love to work evenings in your clinic. Um, And um, most groups in Omaha are owned by large hospitals. And so they don't have the kind of ability to be creative or think outside the box. Um, But there was one private group in town um, that replied and said, that would be amazing. We are open from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And right now we're each doing an evening shift um, every day. And this would be amazing if you would take them all for us and we could go home at dinner. So I um, work... Uh, when I started, I worked Monday through Thursday, um, 4 to 8 p.m. Um, and then I would work one Saturday a month for them for their clinic. But the amazing thing that I was never expecting was that they let me see my own patients. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not just their urgent care. I actually have my own practice right. in the evening and I get to watch kids grow up and be involved in their families and be a part of their lives in the way that I think every pediatrician really longs for. Um, so sure that was a gift. Oh, because <laughs> so who knew how easy it would be to build up? I had to close my practice in three years. Yeah, I mean, me being a professional, exactly like getting my kid to the doctor between eight and five now and pulling them out of school. Yeah, I'm taking a day off work, or my husband is. Or, yep. Yeah, so yeah, my well visits, so you like don't have to take hours. off work, it's really great. And then you get home from work or pick up the kids from daycare and find out they have a fever. Well, that's exactly when I'm pulling into the office, so it works, it works out really, really well. And would have never guessed that, nor did my partners, they had no idea how popular those time slots would be. Is that difficult because it's the traditional kind of dinner time for most families when you sit around the dinner table? Is Mm -hmm. it hard having evening hours like that? It took a shift. So again, it took my family understanding the madness. So breakfast is our family meal um, and it's a sacred time. And so I don't, if, if I need to go to the hospital to see a baby, I do it before they wake up so that I am back for breakfast. 
Um, and then it also works because we homeschool. So I am with my kids all day. Otherwise, I, I really wouldn't get to see them. Right. Um, and we couldn't have the long breakfast that we have. We'd all be running off to school. Um, so, so I'm with them all day. Um, my husband, at the time that I finished my residency, also then chose to leave his crazy high-powered law firm um, and start working from home on his own. And so we were able to connect during the day as well. Um, And then, so we just kind of flipped our day. So for them, dinner is kind of a no big deal. They may or may not eat it together depending on activities, which as they've gotten older, it makes so much sense because everything's in the evening. Um, So I don't know when we'd be together if we didn't do our breakfast. Oh yeah. I'm just thinking of my life. I've got three kids and they're at three practices and three different places. We're constantly running in all directions. Yeah. It's hard to even get that family time. So it's been kind of this weird, crazy gift that we would have never guessed 20 years ago, but, or 15, but yeah, it's, it's really built and um, it makes a ton of sense for us. Okay. So you homeschool during the day and then you're working four to 8 PM in the night. Do you just feel at 8 PM? Like you're just done? I mean, are you, it sounds exhausting in my brain, but then I guess I probably work that many hours in clinic and at the hospital. Well, and I also always tell folks like, I don't go to book club. Like I, I'm not in the PTA. Like I, I think a lot of moms underestimate again, how many hours they're spending doing other things. Um, but, uh, no, it's interesting I'm done with my homeschool brain definitely at three and I'm very grateful that I'm leaving it behind as I get start to prep and get ready for work and I'm thrilled to be going to clinic because I'm going to be respected and (laughs) listened to and and I get to use this totally different part of my brain Um, but then at eight I'm really excited to get home again so I do feel like I kind of have the best of both worlds and uh, we'll see what my kids say in therapy later, but I also feel like I'm a way better mom because they don't have 100% of me. I can be, yeah. I think I'd be too much, honestly. And, um, and, uh, and, and that it does, it makes me value the time that I'm with them, um, because it is limited. I have a, a time, I have an alarm clock that is going to go off and I, I turn into a pumpkin when I go to work as far as they're concerned and yeah. then vice versa at work. Yeah. Tell me about the choice to homeschool them. Yeah, that was also just this bizarre journey that I never would have imagined. Um, it started with my husband. Um, he, it was something he really felt strongly about. Um, he'd met some families um, through his work as an attorney that he really admired and admired their children, and their children were all homeschooled. Um, I, I was a public school Nebraska kid and had a great experience. I mean, it got me into Princeton and was fantastic. Um, but I think I, as I was starting, as my son was getting closer and closer to school age, I was realizing my school doesn't exist anymore. Um, and then again, just really enjoying him. I was shocked at how much I loved being with my son. Um, and and again, also the the teacher in me, I I really struggled to figure out how do I interact with this little person without like reading to him and pointing out ducks. And I, I felt like as I played, I was really just teaching my kid. Yeah. Um, and that's still true of me. We go on, you know, educational trips and, and things like that. Um, but uh, so we, it was more just at preschool, I was like, nope, I, I want to do this. And so um, kept him home and then same thing in kindergarten. And by then we had a curriculum I was so excited about and um, 
and just kind of kept going. And now he's going to graduate <laughs> this year. Wow. Yeah. So how many children? We have four, two boys, two girls. And they're what ages? 11, 13. This is the hardest question I get asked all day. 11, 13, 15, 17. Okay. And you've homeschooled them since kindergarten? Since kindergarten. Yeah. Wow. So all of them their whole lives so That's far. Incredible. That's incredible. Yeah. Um, how do they get social interaction? That's a great question too. Um, that's also been a lifestyle choice. So we um, have intentionally picked a neighborhood where we don't feel like we've priced ourselves out of any friendships. So um, we have our best friends live on the same street. Um, we live next door to my brother, which isn't as creepy as it sounds. <laughs> they have four kids. We're both introverts. I, we will go days and days without seeing each other, but our kids will interact right. every day. Yeah. Um, so we're on a street with um, uh, 10 best friends that can play constantly. Um, and then again, I married an athlete. So we've got some athletic kids. So they've got their sports teams. Yeah. Um, my oldest, who's not super athletic, um, is has been in robotics for almost his whole life. So it has not been an issue at all. Um, I, they do. You can tell they're homeschooled because they will talk to adults yeah. um, and they're very um, confident and interactive. So they come off weird, but I think in a good way that I think by the time they're 20 won't be as weird. Yeah. Um, so it's, I'm an okay with it weird way. Yeah. <laughs> Have you thought about the next stage when the youngest one graduates? Yes. I think about that a lot. I love being a mom, but, um, but, uh, again, there's nothing I'd want to do 100% with my life, including being a mom. So yeah, my husband and I love to travel. Um, I've done some medical missions trips that have been amazing. Um, I, uh, even just the ease of practicing without feeling divided. There's like a joy in that, that I get very excited about, um, of, of my patients getting my full brain and not forgetting, you know, I just, uh, I feel such guilt when someone walks in and I'm like, yeah, who are you again? And it kills me. I, I don't want to be that kind of a doctor. So to not be so, um, divided, um, yeah. is I look forward to that too. Tell me about your medical missions. Did you take the family with you? Was it just you? this most recent time we did? So we started out, um, <laughs> I feel like my husband is the instigator of anything I do <laughs> that is outside the box. He's, he's there to push my limits and it's been a great blessing these last 20 years. Um, but sometimes a challenge. So he really got a heart for Syrian refugees. It was so random, um, but so wonderful. And we went to Lebanon and Jordan to see the conditions of the refugee uh, settlements, I guess you could call them tent villages. Um, and it's, it was 90% uh, women and children. Um, wow. Most of the men were either killed or um, had been forced to serve in the Syrian war in some way. Um, and so that, I mean, just how could I not respond? All of these children. Um, and so there were amazing things happening, especially in Lebanon. Beirut had just opened their hearts to um, the Syrian refugees, and they had some really incredible clinics going on with American University in Beirut, I mean, being one of the best medical institutions in the world. Yeah. So it was really high quality, um, and their uh, providers just needed a vacation. And so I went over with a team and gave them vacation for a week and, um, and did, the, did the medical practice. Um, 
And it was very, I was shocked at how I'd always shied away from it because I'm not a infectious disease specialist. I'm not good at jungle medicine. You get over there and realize your skill set has like. Yes, but this was like suburban Omaha medicine. It was so great. Wow. They all just, they, because Syrians, most of them came, they were like dentists and lawyers whose homes were blown up. They yeah. were, they were not living in villages. Um, right. And so their kids were the same way. They um, had earaches and allergies and um, just all the normal stuff. And we're having nightmares, unexpected, you know, not right. unexpectedly. And so being able to talk through all of the things that I deal with here all the time on anxiety um, and post-traumatic stress disorder and um, their source of trauma it was far greater. I mean, you should never compare trauma, but their source of trauma was very violent um, in ways that my Omaha kids aren't, but it's still the same, um, same therapies, same interventions. And so that was really satisfying. So I did, did that um, a couple of times. And then um, most recently, uh, we just got back actually a couple of weeks ago, the whole family went um, and we did a clinic in Uganda. Um, and so my the boys helped at a school um, doing a construction project, but the girls and I uh, saw over 1,300 patients. My girls took wow. vital signs and um, filled out the demographic information for all these patients. And that was just a, an incredible joy um, to get to um, help out in that way, but also to see my girls stepping in and, yeah. um, and working with me and kind of seeing and behind the curtain of, oh, this is why mom leaves. Do any of the children have a desire to pursue medicine? I think one. Yeah. I think my youngest, she is a, she's a smart cookie in, in the, um, sort of, uh, again, outside the box thinker, she has this great idea. We'll see if AI interferes, but she's like, I could be a radiologist and read uh, radiology reports in China from home yeah. while they're sleeping and then go, you know, and I'm like, right. that's a great idea, right. friend. <laughs> You're wise. She's got an entrepreneurial mind. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yes. That's important. Uh, what other travel do you do with the kids besides the mission? I mean, do you guys make that a priority? We or? do. Yeah, we absolutely do. It's one of the joys of why we've continued homeschooling, um, that we can pick up in October and go to a random place where there is no are no crowds. Um, it's almost always related to what we've been studying. So after we finished studying World War One and World War Two, we went to Europe and wow. went to all the battlefields and, and saw sites there. After we'd studied um, Inca tribes, we went to Ecuador. Um, so we try to kind of pair things up like that. Interesting. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's super fun. I hope my kids like it. I love it. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. Like real world field trips. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what we try to my do. My kids are going to like the apple orchard. Yeah, <laughs> we like, do that too, though. Yeah. <laughs> that's also fun. What, what time do you get to be alone? Do you, what do you do to take care of yourself and unplug from part-time pediatrics and mob life and being a teacher? Yeah, no, I need it. I am a huge introvert. Um, so I have to store it up each day. I, um, I was aware of that weakness, if you can call it that, um, very early on. And so needed to sort of train the kids to not need me all the time. My goal was to kind of, um, raise them so that I don't have a job anymore. And we're sort of there. So they, um, they cook all the meals, um, which I miss, but it needed to happen. Um, I love cooking, but, um, I, I wouldn't have any time alone if, if they weren't doing meal prep for me. Um, 
And, uh, and then I never got rid of quiet time in the afternoon. So even when my kids outgrew nap time from two to four, um, I maintained it as quiet time. I, you don't have to sleep, but this is time that I am, I, I you can't need mom right now. And uh-huh. so whether you're reading or doing whatever, um, and so that, um, the afternoons for a while have been sort of reserved for me, whether it's doing an interview like this, or that's when I get my run in, um, just have time alone to kind of, and I, I need that separation too, before I go to work, I find to kind of oh, interesting. put so my other brain on. From teacher, you have a little gap in there before yep. you go to the I clinic. have a two hour gap before I then am arriving as, as Dr. Bielan instead of mom. Yeah. Um, and that time actually has grown more and more every year. They're so independent in learning now, um, which I think most moms can relate to. When your kids get in high school, you're you're not really helping them with homework anymore. Um, and my kids are the same way. They've just um, they've been taught how to teach themselves. Um, and so, and then we do we do some online courses for some of the harder things like AP Chemistry or whatever. They they have an online instructor, um, but they're very independent. Um, and so that that gives me this year. I've felt it dramatically this fall. Um, I, I do find myself with hours of like, wait, what I should be, why am I not frantic? <laughs> I should be yeah. doing something. What am I missing? But yeah. they're just growing up. What, what an incredible thing. Okay. So for other doctor moms out there, most of us aren't living Marie Bieland's life <laughs> no. with homeschool at <laughs> a four-hour clinic in the <laughs> evening. But you have such an interesting perspective because you get to be a pediatrician and you see the babies. I mean, Certainly people like me could be, you know, we could be bringing our kids as, as our, as our patients to you working professional moms. There's so much guilt involved Mm -hmm. with, you know, our career and being a mom. And you've certainly found that, that middle ground and that incredible, happy, happy place. What advice do you have for women who can't structure, you know, Mm -hmm. their life like yours? What can we do as, as working moms to feel like we're being good parents, good moms? Well, to know you are, I mean, no matter what, uh, you are there and, um, and that's enough. Um, I always tell, I can tell in the hospital, a lot of times the parents are just getting so nervous about going home. And I just remind them, this isn't an accident. There is no mistake here. This Mm -hmm. child is supposed to be with you and not go home with anyone else. And this is the way it's supposed to be. So this is going to work out no matter what. Um, And so I think we need to remind ourselves of that, that no one can be um, the same mom that we can be. Um, And, and then try really do taking the time at least once a year or so of trying, and it takes time. And so you do have to probably schedule it into your life of what does my child need from their mom this year? And then everything else I can outsource. Um, And so I, anyone who knows me, knows my children, knows that I am not at every game. Um, I'm not at a majority of the games sometimes, especially if they're in the evenings. Um, And uh, and so I can carry a lot of guilt about that. I do not know the families well of the teams that we play on um, because I am not a presence. And and I, I interpret um, the judgment that I'm sure they don't even know I exist, but I interpret it as judgment of, oh, this mom never brings snacks or um, the snacks are lame because someone else bought them, not yeah. her. And um, so having to quiet those voices, but I am not there. Um, a lot. And, 
Um, and that's okay because I'm there for what does matter um, right. in their lives. And um, and I, I hope I'm not just lying to myself, but I do feel like it's important for my kids to know they're not the center of the world. Um, and they're learning that every day with me as their mom. Yeah. Um, because I choose other things over them. And that is a very, it even saying it, my heart races a little bit. Like yeah. if I were on Oprah, you know, would people start throwing things at the screen? How dare a mother say that her children aren't the, the most important thing, but, yeah. but we all make those choices, um, whether we are stay at home or not. And, and I think it's just a, a lie that we've sort of adopted as a society that yeah. these kids are the most important thing. And, they are so wonderful and I adore them. And, um, and, and they have, I've structured my life around them actually, Yeah. but they also know they're not the most important thing in my life. And, and I think that's an important lesson. Yeah, it really is. I remember cause I had my children in med school and residency and I was had finished residency. I was out in private practice and we drove by UNMC where I did residency and my oldest daughter goes, look, there's mommy's house. And I yep. had this like moment. I was like, gosh, like, and then I thought, you know what, like they were little, mm -hmm. like they're never going to remember this never. stage. And to just totally contrast that this morning, I sprinted out of the house to go to a delivery. And I said, I got to go to delivery. And one of my daughters said, let me know if it's a boy or a girl. Love you, mom. Oh. You know, it's like, I think that they, yes. I think you just have to model for them. You know, what's important. I take the time when I can to connect with them. They totally understand that my crazy life is not what other moms, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, it's, it's your world. And I think you can still make it super awesome. Mm -hmm. And you're totally right. I think you have these kids and you just think they come before everything else. And unfortunately I, I watch a lot of moms start to not take care of themselves. Yes. They're not exercising. Mm -hmm. They're not taking care of their mental health. Um, and they just deteriorate at the cost of their children. Mm -hmm. And I kind of have this motto called pay yourself first. And it's like, okay, if Marie doesn't take care of mm -hmm. herself, she's not going to take care of her patients. Mm -hmm. She can't be a teacher for her kids. She can't be a wife to her husband. Mm -hmm. No, it's just such an important thing. You're exactly right. Yeah. You're exactly right. And then I think my other piece of advice too would be to be brave. I think a lot of times we, we just are lemmings, you know, of, mm. oh, this is what everyone else does does. So I'm going to sign up for the thing, obviously that I'm thinking of is these hours. Um, if, if I, if I hadn't presented the idea of working from four to eight, no one was going to offer that to me. Um, of course I would just be offered what they thought everyone would want nine to five. Um, but by really thinking, does nine to five actually work for me or does something different work better for me and to ask for it, mm -hmm. um, and to not, not be afraid, um, to, to do something really weird and different. Um, and then to also, I think we just have to acknowledge the, the cost benefit analysis and, and be, um, realistic about it. And I think a lot of times, um, we think we need more money than we actually do. Um, or we, we need more prestige than, than we actually do. And we can get a lot more satisfaction in a different place. Um, and so just to, to be brave, um, about that and to not worry about, you know, what, what your parents think, well, why did you go to medical school if you're only going to work four hours a day? Or, um, or, uh, why would you take out all those loans if you're gonna it's gonna take forever to pay them back and yeah. um yeah just there's I think a lot of things that we um 
if we had the space, which is hard to find that space to really think about, we might arrive at very different conclusions, um, but we just don't have time. And so we sign the contract um, and move on. Yeah. Uh, do you think when the kids leave, you'll ever be full-time? Or have you really I don't. Um, found this rhythm that works? Yeah, I love this rhythm. And and there's other youngsters in my life, um, you know, young being 20-somethings, that I really am love getting to pour into them, um, and meeting with them and, um, and, and meeting them where they're at and their lives that I will very much enjoy having more time, um, to spend with some of those young moms, young single women, um, just starting out and trying to figure out all this crazy stuff. So as long as people like that still want to meet with me, I'm, I don't, I don't think I ever will. Okay. One last question. You said your mother outsourced a lot of her life, Mm -hmm. lived very differently. Do you, I mean, it seems like, mm-hmm. do you outsource? I yes. mean, you can't possibly no. do everything. No, I do not do everything. <laughs> no. Um, so we have, we have a woman that helps clean the house. Um, the kids do all the cooking, like I said. And so that means I have to release the fact that like. The, That's educational. Well, they all can survive. Yeah. I'm well aware of that. But the week that it's my 15 year old's turn, we will be eating ground beef every day because <laughs> that's what he wants. And it's very nutritious. Like, all right. So <laughs> here we go, everyone. Um, put on your smiles. And so, yeah, if someone's coming over um, and I have to, again, fight that embarrassment of they might go home and tell their kids that we just had ground beef with salt. And that's what we had at the Beelan's house. <laughs> it's like that. It reflects on me. But oh, well. Um, um, I can't, I can't win everything. Um, yeah. so yes, outsource the cooking. Um, I don't do laundry. Um, the kids, your do, husband does all the laundry. My husband did. And now the kids do it all. And same thing. I have to, um, be willing to, um, to have the kids ruin stuff that yeah. they wear. Um, and that's, that's just life sometimes. Um, but again, that's, I've got bigger fish to fry yeah. is the choice I've made. Now for others that may be like really, really important how they look. Um, and that's okay. It's just a different choice that, that we've made. Um, I'm trying to think I, there's just a million things. I, I desperately need my, um, my friends who take my children places, um, and take them home. It's like a total um, village. It yeah. is a complete village. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I had to die to the, I, the fact that I will not ever be able to repay them. Yeah. Um, I, I will, it's not a tit for tat in my world at all. They are doing all the driving and once in a while I'm available to help out. Yeah. Um, but they have told me time and time again, that's fine. Um, as long as they can text me with a medical question, right. <laughs> doctor, <laughs> my child has a fever. We get those questions all the time as physicians. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes it's hard to say no. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard to set those boundaries. Well, this has been so delightful. Yes, it has. So delightful. Thanks so much. I know people are going to get so much out of it. Oh, I hope so. I hope it's encouraging and not the last thing I want to do is make people think that they're making the wrong decision. So I play, just pray that no one is hearing that out there. Everyone yeah. is doing their best and their best is amazing. You so exactly. Yeah. Take the time and to really think through of your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Be brave. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed the wonderful information that Dr. Bielan had to share you guys wouldn't mind just liking, subscribing to our channel and sharing this episode with anybody who would find it helpful. We'll catch you on the next episode.